open your Bibles, he just read from Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at that again. We're going to start there. I believe that word last week was from God. It was in God's perfect timing, and let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 6, I want to start with verse 11. This is New Testament. This is most likely Paul. They still try to decide, but most likely Paul. And it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now I want you to turn over. The, the thing about God is he doesn't he tell us what to do. He tells us how to do it. And he's telling us here, not to become sluggish, not to become sluggards, not to just get bored and just throw it all away, but be diligent and stay on track. So now he tells us way back in the Old Testament how not to become sluggish. So turn back to Proverbs chapter 6. I love Proverbs. I think people, especially in this day and age, need to read Proverbs. I've had people that just new believers and, and they start to read through the Bible from front to back. And that's a good thing, but spend most of your time in Proverbs in the second half of the new Testament, because the second half of the new Testament was written for the church, the modern day church and Proverbs gives us wisdom. And to start reading Ezekiel or Leviticus is like starting to teach a first grader to read Shakespeare. It's just, you know, there's a time and a place for it, but read Proverbs and and these things. Now, in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, he says, remember, we're talking about being sluggish, about being a sluggard or being bored. Okay, he says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So what this is going to tell us is how not to be sluggish. Okay, how do we stir ourselves up to do the things we should do, to stay faithful, to do all these things without being bored? And you think, have you ever watched an ant? Why in the world would God use an ant to teach us how not to be sluggish? If you ever watch an ant, they just plod along in a line back and forth, down the hole, out of the hole, down the hole, out of the hole. The most monotonous thing in the world, the most monotonous life of all creatures. And yet that's what God teaches us how not to become sluggish because we need to be like like the ants. Now, here's a nugget. One of the things I've learned through the years, remember I'm old, we've learned some things through the years. One of the things I've learned through the years is that This has all the answers. And that the world tries to fix things their own way, and usually it's complete opposite of what works. And we tend to look at the world for our answers, and God's got it all figured out. Why don't we just ask him? You know? So he's telling us, and it's just opposite of what you'd think. We don't want to be sluggish. He doesn't want us to be sluggish. He doesn't want us to be bored. He doesn't want us just to cave in because we're tired of it all. So he tells us to be like an ant. 
in the natural, that doesn't seem to make sense. But let's go on and let's look at this. In verse 7, he now describes the ant and what we need to be. He says, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, he just, he, he continues on. And you think, well, that means I don't need a leader. I don't need a pastor. I just go do what I want. No, that's not what it's saying at all. He's saying, you know, there's a queen and she's sitting down in, in the, in her whatever, in her tunnel, laying eggs, doing her thing. And the other ones are just plodding along back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What it's saying is she doesn't have to put a ring in their nose and lead them. They just know what to do, and they do it. No big production, no big show. She doesn't have to come and pat them on the back, tell them they're doing a good job, praise them, help them if they get unmotivated. They just do what they need to do. And if a stick gets in the way or some problem develops, she doesn't have to come up and tell them what to do. They just figure it out. You know, God gives us gifts. One of the gifts he gave us was a brain. It's so simple. Just use it sometimes. You know, that's all. How, how minute can an ant's brain be, but it can figure it out? So that's what it's saying here. It doesn't have a leader. It doesn't have a captain that has to tell them every step to take. They just do what they need to do, and they don't quit, and they don't get offended, and they just get it done, okay? That's verse 7. Verse 8. It says, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So what does an ant's life consist of? Pretty much just preparation, just preparation, preparing, and they don't regard this, they regard they do regard the seasons they understand that they have a season to build and then a season not to build you know my mom lived the most simple of all lives she lived in monroe almost all her life she never drove we lived in the country she didn't go places but her whole life was preparation we had the huge garden and by the end of the summer the downstairs room was just full of food for the winter. She never was bored. Never was bored in her life. There was always something interesting and always somebody to come and have dinner with and she'd feed them. And it was all about preparation. Okay, so that's what, what the, li- the ant's life consists of is preparing and so many times we look at all the little things that we do and we want to get bored with that and think we should do some big you know if you continually looking look to Jesus and just prepare just prepare for what you're going to do and and be diligent in that you're not going to get bored verse 9 this one I had to think about a little more It says, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? And then I looked up slumber here. You know, we need to rest. We need to take time to sleep. But it says, how long will you slumber? 
right here, slumber means to lie down. How long will you lie down? You know, I look at the church world today, and there's so much going on. There's more persecution of Christians now than ever before. And we have people out protesting in the streets because they want Sharia law, and they want us to stand up for that. And yet the Christian, the church, just lies down and say, oh, let them take care of it. Let them take care of it. That's, you know, there's so much going on. We need to get up. We need to get going. We need to take control of our lives. Don't be pulled by every wind of doctrine. We need to quit being passive, quit being the victim, shake off, shake off the slumber, and do something. Okay, verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands, so shall your poverty come on like a prowler and your need like an armed man. What this is talking about very simply is lack of diligence. Inattentiveness to the small things. But the small things are so boring. You know, don't t- if anybody has a short attention span, people don't get this because I'm laid back. I have a short attention span. Had one since I was little. My mom would just send me out of the house. Go do something and don't be bored. Okay? If we are attentive to the small things in the seasons that we need to be attentive to them, we won't get bored and sluggish because here's the a whole thing with the ants. They have a purpose. And he's been talking about it all year. What's your purpose? If you have a purpose for what you're doing, then attention to the small things isn't going to be boring. They don't get bored and sluggish because they have a purpose to fulfill and they're diligent to do it. You know, I grew up, I talked about my mom. I grew up in Monroe, little town. We lived in the country. My mom didn't drive. My dad worked all the time. And I was an only child. And you would think that would be the most boring, just like an ant, you know, just the most boring mundane. I was bored two times in my life, and I can remember telling my mom I was bored, and she found something so I wouldn't be. And I decided it's best not to be bored. So I found a way to entertain myself. And I was the teacher's greatest aggravation in school because if I was bored... I found a way to entertain myself and the rest of the classroom. We would, I mean, we would do things that would, you would pull your hair out if your kids did those things. (laughs) We had this great big, you got to have one Monroe story, right? We had this great big, have I told you this? We had the big, the big uh, fire escape. We had that old building, it's gone. And there's a, off the top floor was, there was this old fire escape. They don't know what it is. It was a big round tunnel, looked like a covered slippery slide. Okay, and there was a door on the top floor that was closed, and it had a lift lid. And then if there was a fire down on the second floor, you had a way from the third floor to get out. You just, there was a bar across there, and you'd grab your hands, and you'd throw yourself down, and you'd slide out. That fire escape was the greatest you know, that beat any water park. When, 
we found so many things to do with that. But the greatest thing that we ever did was when I was in junior high, the principal's office was right next to this room, and he was our teacher in this. They had, this was his classroom, okay, because it was closest to the office. And occasionally he had to go out and take care of a problem in the office. So what we did to entertain ourselves was the minute he walked out the door, the two people closest to the fire escape, one would grab the door and pull it up, and two other people would grab somebody sitting close to the door and pick them up and throw them down. You learned to be very attentive. <laughs> anyway, you'd come down, and then the, the whole goal was to see if that person could come back around up three flights of steps and make it back in before the principal came. We found all kinds of ways to entertain ourselves. We were never bored, but now today we live in an entertainment society. We think somebody has to entertain us all the time. We found great ways to entertain ourselves, and they were much more fun than going to a movie. I mean, we did all kinds of things. So we live in an entertainment society, and to be honest, I've really never been bored in my life because at a young age I learned to entertain myself. Wasn't maybe always good, you know, but I learned to entertain myself. And we need to do that. We need to not expect... When you walk in those doors, don't come to this church if you want to be entertained. That's not our purpose, to entertain you. Our purpose is to grow you, okay? So don't be entertained. It's good to be entertained sometimes, but don't let your life live and expect to be entertained. Wanting somebody to do something for you all the time, want to be entertained, want you to fix my problems, do it yourself. So... Very simply, to be like an ant, you need to be self-disciplined. You need to be self-motivating. You need to be diligent, not only in the natural realm, but spiritually. You know, we need to... Mike Keyes wrote a book. I think it was his first book. We need to all probably get it back out. It's called The Seven Priorities of Life. And it is so good, and it is so simple. It's a short book, you know. The priorities of what the world tells us we need to be doing really aren't the things we need to be doing. We need to be spending time with God. It doesn't have to be 12 hours a day. It should be a continual thing. You know, we should be looking at the word because God knows the answers. We should be spending time at prayer. We get so distracted in other things. So I want us to turn over now to Ecclesiastes. I love Proverbs. I don't read Ecclesiastes as much, but really it's just a continuation of Proverbs. It has a lot of wisdom. Let's start in verse, we're going to look at a couple chapters here. Chapter 3, let's start there. I'm not going to read the whole thing because most people know at least a little bit about this chapter. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. i give you three, three things that keep us from doing what we're supposed to do, three things that we allow in our lives that make us sluggish. Let's put it that way. So here's number one. 
it says to everything there's a season, a time and purpose under heaven. It goes through the whole thing. Okay? You can read that on your own sometime. Ecclesiastes 3, we do not heed the seasons. One of the things that why we are sluggish, we become sluggish, is because we don't heed the seasons. I talked about the ants, watching the anthills. No kidding. When I was a kid, I would used to go find a big anthill and I would sit by it and watch them because I thought they were kind of interesting. But have you ever gone out in January and watched the anthills? No. Why? Because the ants are down in the tunnel in their lazy boy with their legs crossed, relaxing, because they heeded the season. They knew when they needed to be out and be about what they needed to be about. They knew, they knew when they needed to prepare for that next season that came. And we don't heed the seasons. So many times we're, we look at somebody else, we look at a different church, we look at the neighbors, and they're doing this and they're doing that, and we think we should be doing that. If that's not the season of your life, they might be in a different season. Look at the season in your life and pay attention to the seasons. The ants instinctively know that they must prepare for the upcoming season to survive. So monotony gives away to urgency. Get that? Monotony gives away to urgency. It isn't boring to them doing this because they know. It's kind of like when they get these sandbag crews out, they know a flood's coming. And they just all stand in the line. How monotonous is that? It isn't because it's urgent. Their preparations are urgent. So heed the seasons. God, the one thing I learned, God taught me something last year. Probably should have, but through the whole year, the thing I learned is God's timing is impeccable. If you've read you know, the, the devotional this week, it talked about how science has been explained in the Bible 3,000 years before we ever figured it out. You know, I have seen things happen this last year, and God's timing was spot on. And so we need to, sometimes we need to wait on God's timing, and it's hard on our flesh. But if we spend our time in preparing, how do you prepare? Well, pray in the Spirit. What better way to prepare? And I know that's laborious. You know, I never used to like to pray. Now I love to pray because I see so many things that need to be prayed about. Okay, Kenneth Hagin always said, it is easier to play catch-up than clean-up. In other words, don't get out ahead of God. Stay right on track where God is. David's sin with Bathsheba was because he wasn't heeding the seasons. If you read the scriptures, he should have been out to battle. It was the season when kings go to battle. And he was in the wrong season of his time. And he messed up big time. He was at home in the wrong season. Okay, so we don't heed the seasons. We need to heed the seasons like the ant. Now look over at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Starting in verse 10. I'll just read a few 
passages here. It says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. God understands that we have needs. And he expects us to get out and do something to meet those needs. But what it really comes down to, he's talking about here, if you just work and work and work and work and work all the time just to get riches, just to get status, just to get whatever, it's just vanity. It's just a waste of time. In all, if all your life is, is bent on getting money, getting status, there will never be enough, and your children really will never be fed. In other words, if you spend all your time trying to get status, trying to get money, and never invest in the lives, what's more important than the lives of your children? And realize that's a season, and it passes fast. So what that comes down to is incorrect motives. Here again, for all your, he's talked about purpose or motive. What do you have? Purpose or motive? If all you're doing is laboring on and on and on and on to get more money, to get more status, your motive's wrong. Overworking to become rich and status-seeking are as much adultery as bowing down to a golden calf. Money and status are the idols of our current culture. There's nothing wrong with money, but it's a tool for us to use to further the kingdom of God and that our needs would be met. But we get out beyond that, and it becomes an idol. And what you need to do is tweak that in your life, perhaps, if that's a problem. And, and that's today's culture. That's what It's all about status. It's all about money. You know... Most of these big NFL players, that be, they lose it all. Hollywood is full of the most unsatisfied people that I've ever seen in my life because it's all about money and status. Their priorities are wrong. Do we do what we do to serve God or to serve self? Do we want to be the big shot? Is that, is that what makes us feel good about ourselves? A lot of people are out just trying to find ways to feel about, good about themselves. Improper motives are what lead to sluggishness because our priorities and our purpose are out of order. Number three, this will be the last one. won't keep you a long time. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. For years and years, this has been a frustration to me. And I've seen it. I believe it's a problem not in the world, but in the body of Christ as much as everybody else. And I almost hate to say it because sometimes you say stuff and people take them out of context. They take it way over here. Okay. But a couple of the things I think the church world needs to be better at. And one of them is to rest. And I think we need to learn to celebrate. Christians can get so legalistic 
that we just don't celebrate the good times. I think it's an insult to not enjoy your life. I think it's an insult to God to not enjoy your life. And people think, oh, how can that be? And and I hate to say that because sometimes you say you need to rest more than somebody isn't going to show up to church for the next four weeks because they think, pastor says I need to rest more. That's not the purpose. Well, I was reading this scripture this week and it solved my dilemma. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Let's start with verse 16. Verse 16 will be a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's funny. It says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. In other words, God knew North Korea had a problem long before we did. Woe to you, North Korea. Your king is just a child. And your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land. When your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. What in the world is that saying? It's saying there is a time to rest and there is a time to feast. And there is a time to, you know, relax. But why do you do it? Are you just relaxing and resting and partying because for a th- on a three-day drunk because Nebraska won a football game? You know, I like Nebraska football as much as anything, but people get that a little out of proportion. We need, there's a time to feast. There's a time to take a vacation. The the world today, the younger generation, they say they go on vacations because they want a big destination vacation so they can take a selfie of themselves and put it on social media, and it's a status symbol. That is the wrong reason to go on vacation. You need to go on vacation for a purpose. Expand your horizons. Refresh yourself. There's a right purpose for it. There's a right purpose for sitting down and and resting and relaxing. And we feel guilty about it. And we shouldn't. We should enjoy life. God made life to enjoy. And we need to, to learn to rest. We need to learn to celebrate the good times. When I graduated from high school and college, I thought it was stupid having a party afterwards. I wasn't interested. As a parent, I see that different. We need to celebrate sometimes. We need to celebrate rites of passage and, and, and do these things. And, and so take, take time to do those things. You know, one thing I don't see in a lot of Christians, I don't see much joy, I don't see much peace, and I don't see much contentment. And I think that's wrong. I think we're missing the whole point. You don't see the ants in winter. They've done their job. Now it's their time to rest and refresh so they can continue on the next year. There's a time and purpose for everything, a time to rest and relax for what's coming, for a purpose, to refresh so you don't become sluggish. We get so busy being busy that we don't have time to recognize and see the things we should. We, when I grew up, my dad worked 20 yards from the house. 
And another 10 yards down the hill was the garden. And we had this huge garden. Have you ever driven down a country road and you're in a hurry and you get behind some old farmer out checking his crops? And he's just putting along and looking at the crops. Here's the thing. He's looking for a miracle. He's watching and he's praying. I was laughing at myself this week because when we had this big garden, my dad went down and checked that garden 15 times a day. Used to drive my mom nuts. He'd get up in the morning. He'd walk down and look at the garden. He'd come home for coffee at 10. He'd walk down and look at the garden. He came home at lunch, and before he went back to work, he'd go down and look at the garden. And as soon as he got off work in the evening, he'd go down and look at the garden, and he'd look at it at least one more time before he went to bed. And I found myself, I'm doing the same thing. I must walk out to my garden ten times a day. But you know what fascinates me? We have asparagus. We had a great asparagus. It took three or four years to get asparagus. It takes time. And I go out in the morning, and that little asparagus stalk is this big. And I go out at 4 o'clock, and that asparagus stalk is this big. That's a miracle to me. I didn't see it grow. I like to go look at it. You know what? So many times, and this is what happens to Christians We're so busy looking for the spectacular that we miss the supernatural. Zach and Alicia, there's two or three other ones here. You have babies. And every day is going to be, the next year or two is going to be mundane. You're going to feed them. You're going to change their diapers day after day after day after day. And pretty soon, before you know it, They're out coon hunting. (laughs) And don't miss that. You don't see them. You don't really see them grow. You don't see that that feeding them every day. You just don't. You don't see it if you don't take time to look. We miss the supernatural because we're always looking for the spectacular. How many people witnessed the birth of Christ? How many people during that time enjoyed his presence when he was on the earth? Peter almost missed the biggest event of history because Jesus told him to pray and he was asleep. And he screwed up four times. And all Jesus told him to do was pray. It was the biggest event, but he made it. How many people didn't even see it happen? Because they were looking for a big king on a throne. They weren't looking for a baby in a manger. They were looking for the spectacular. They missed the supernatural. And we do it every day. We need to take time to look. I believe with all my heart, we are now in a season of preparation. And in the season of preparation... It needs to be a season of prayer. And I, I, I'm not, I never used to like to pray, but I find it exciting now. But you know what? Prayer, to really pray, takes exertion. You know, not a now I lay me down to sleep prayer. I'm not talking about that. 
And it, it takes prayer. It takes laying that out. It takes speaking the word day after day after day. And pretty soon, those things you're believing for are like the asparagus stalk. They've gone from here to here. Prayer and preparation requires exertion and activity, not entertainment. People love, here's something that's another little thing. This is just a little side note. People love to give to big events. People, and bless you, you, you guys have been the most faithful people. You give faithfully, just like the ants. You come and go, give, 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 give. And when we have guest ministers, you love to give to them, and that's a great thing. But you have to understand, we had to buy a mower. We have a water pump that needs to be fixed. You know, and, and we overlook those things. We can't have the big event. We can't have the night to shine event if the sewer is overflowing. We have to pay for those little things. That's why God says, he who is faithful in what is small will be ruler over what is much. And, and the world tells us we need to be ruler over what is much, but just forget the little things. They don't count. They don't matter. We need to focus on preparation. We need to stir ourselves up. We need to shake ourselves up. When Greg Fritz was here, I think a lot of you got this book. And it's, you know, it's not a great, exciting book. It's not spectacular. It's, you know, and I've just been kind of plodding through it. But this week I got to page 136. It's on righteousness versus works. And he's talking in... in, in if you've read this, go back and read it again. It's probably the best explanation I've ever read on righteousness versus works. And he says, we don't work to earn the gifts of God. We already have received those through righteousness. But rather we work because we have received them. First, there is grace which provides the gifts of God. Then comes the faith to receive, and it's followed by the ability to do good works. Most people want to do the works and earn the righteousness. We need to receive the righteousness so we can do the works. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. His grace is received by our faith, and it leads to good works. We aren't working to become good. We work because we are good. It's the little things. It's the attention to the little things that God has in our lives that keeps us from being sluggish, not the excitement. The excitement, there's a time for it to refresh, but we need to be attentive to the little things. We need to be diligent. Sometimes we have to stir ourselves up. So if I've done nothing else today, I pray that I've stirred you up not to be sluggish, but to be diligent because it's going to be exciting. And it, it is exciting if you take time to look at the little things.